Well, I invite you to get your Bibles out and turn with me to the fifth chapter of James. We have two messages left in our walk through James, and uh, so we'll be in verses 7 through 12 here in a minute. Have you heard the phrase, patience is a virtue? You've heard that one? Yeah, we've heard that one. Um, I'll admit, right up front, it's not always my strongest virtue. Anybody different? Anybody with me? Yeah, okay. I'm standing up here all by myself. You're just leaving me hanging here. Come on. <laughs> so we get impatient with lots of things, right? Um, traffic is that on your list? You get a little impatient with traffic? Maybe not so much the traffic, but maybe the people driving the cars, like all of them, once in a while. Guys, two words, outlet mall. <laughs> Black Friday, Costco, anytime on Saturday afternoon, anytime. Airport security lines. Impatience? Then you see these people with well, these fast passes, all, you know, hey, I'm going to go down the TSA line. And, uh, you know, right through, you know, I've gotten the luck of the draw one time and gone through that TSA line. Man, that was fantastic. You know, laughing at everybody. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> you might want to take your belt off. Oh, and your shoes. <laughs> you know, airports can just get our impatience all, you know, discombobulated there. And then there's people who... Uh, don't seem to care about anything. Then there's, should we just talk about Walmart? You know, they have, what, 38 or 40 checkout lines, and like three are open? And then the one that I pick, you know, the light starts flashing, or somebody drops their money all over the floor, and oh, come on, people. Are you leaving? You're, you're kind of like leaving me here all by myself. <laughs> You know, next week we're going to talk about confession, but I'm getting it out the way right now. <laughs> you know, anything that, um, when we begin to lose our patience, uh, you know, it's, it's typically any time that we have to wait for something, and it's times when it's totally out of our control. You know, so we are just put at the mercy of whatever it is that we're waiting for. And so, you know, we start to feel the, the little anger response bubbling up inside. Our blood pressure starts to rise just a little bit. Um, because we're wired uh, to want things to happen right now, immediate. That's how our world uh, and our society is organized it's all organized around this idea that you shouldn't have to wait for anything. We should have instant everything, just like that. Um, our world does not run on patience. Our world runs on the fuel of efficiency and getting things done quicker. So, I'll continue my moment of confession. You know, when you're about to preach a message on patience... You know, your week ends up giving you plenty of opportunity to practice. So Thursday was an especially uh, full day. I had, 
you know, appointments and meetings kind of scheduled back to back to back, all day long, all the way through board meeting. And, and in the middle of that, I wanted to try and get over to Shahales Middle School to, to get to my son's track meet. And so I have this window of time. I get over to the track meet and, you know, watch his events. And I'm, I'm in the car, coming back, and I'm, I have like nine minutes to get to the church for the next appointment. And I didn't leave any room in there to find any food. And I didn't, I didn't have my little stash in my desk drawer any longer. So I thought, you know, I can, you know, zip by Wendy's or Burger King. And so I'm you know, which one has the shorter line? I'm trying to judge this as I'm trying to pull into Wendy's, and, you know, there's like, oh, good, there's only one car in line. It was a Suburban. <laughs> so I pull up behind the Suburban, and there's a lot of heads in that Suburban. <laughs> like, it was full, and there were kids in the back. And <laughs> no, it wasn't blue. <laughs> it was tan. <laughs> so... You know, I'm thinking, I'm preaching on patience. I'm preaching on patience. I can wait in line, and it'll be okay. So I roll my window down, get the fresh air. You know, mom rolls down her window up there, and I can hear, you know, it's going to be a little bit because we don't know what we want. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to wait. So I waited, and she gives one order. I'd like a cheeseburger. Wait, hold the cheese. Okay. You know what? We don't, I don't know. We, you know, so it just kind of went back and forth. And I, finally, I'm like, Burger King. And I zip out of the line and go over to Burger King because I'm not going to wait for that. Okay, so that's confession, right? There's sometimes where you, you're, you know, you just, you're trying to be patient and it's just not working out. And so we let our emotions get the best of ourselves. And, um, you know, our world is organized on this idea of getting, you know, having everything faster. And, and uh, we have instant everything. The world tries to eliminate our need for patience. And so we can do like a now or, you know, like a then and now comparison. I mean, we can sit at the, at the dining room table and somebody could just, you know, have like a, some random trivia question. Hey, what kind of bug just flew by the window? I don't know. Well, let's look it up. And you can look it up. You don't have to, you know, go off and search somewhere else. You can get an answer to your question right away. Back in the day, when you wanted to rent a movie, you had to get dressed. You had to go out to your car. You had to go down the road to the movie store. You had to browse the shelves, check out the movie, drive all the way back home, and then you could watch your movie. Now, if you want to watch a movie, you just log into the to your TV and you go to Netflix or you know any of the other services that are out there, and you can get it instantly. You don't have to go anywhere. But then you know, then we're sitting there, and the movie goes to buffering. You know, so, oh, there's a pause in my movie in like 15 seconds. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe what's going on. This is taking way too long. (laughs) To research something back in the day, kids, we used something called the card catalog. (laughs) So, again, if you're working on a paper or wanting to find information on something, you get back in your car or on your bicycle and you pedal on down to the library, 
and you walk up to the card catalog and you pull out that drawer. Oh, let me write down the Dewey Decimal Code for this one. And then you got to walk through the stacks of books and you got to match up the Dewey Decimal number you know, to the spine on the book. Now you can do your research in your pajamas on your couch and you pull up Google and you're like, huh, what do I want to know about this? Or to, you, know, you can go to you know, an online library or something and you can find out what sources you need and, and then you can find them. Or you know, if you're really super lazy and super impatient, you can just buy the book off of Amazon. I may have be guilty of that on occasion. <laughs> yes, John knows. He tracks my books. Uh, then there's mail, you know, snail mail versus email. And sometimes our email's not even fast enough. Like we have to, we send an email to somebody and they didn't respond in 30 seconds, so we send them a text message. Hey, did you get my email? Are you going to respond to that? Or, you know, we don't, we often don't leave voicemail messages anymore because that's, you know, it takes way too long to take 30 seconds to listen to somebody's voicemail. So, you know, your little red light on your phone flashes forever because, you know, it takes too long. I got to log in and put in my code and then I have to listen to the message and then I have to figure out if I'm going to save it or I'm going to delete it or I don't have a piece of paper and a pen to write down this, you know, the important message. So why don't you just text me? Then I'll just get it right there. You know, what's next after text? I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, there's things are just, it's, it's like supercharged fast. And we keep, you know, trying to, we, we say that we're progressing as a society because, hey, everything is just super fast and super instant, super instant. And, but the bottom line is most of our new inventions, and don't get me wrong, I love them. They're super cool. I mean, there's some things that we can do now that we just couldn't do before, but they're all predicated on our growing level of impatience. And so we have to find a way, invent a way to make it go faster. And so we struggle as a society with patience as a virtue. I mean, the world is bent on teaching you and convincing you that you don't need to be patient. If you have to wait for something, it's not worth it. You can move on to the next thing. Go somewhere else. They'll do it faster. And the more that we make the world faster and easier, the more impatient we will become. So while we think that we're making some progress, we're actually regressing a little bit because um, some of this society on speed, is, it's really doing some damage to our souls. Um, the truth is, if it's not fast enough, for us, it frustrates us. And when we become frustrated, anger starts to take root in our lives, and we get agitated, and we get irritated, and we take it out on other people. Am I wrong? I don't think so. Um, well, it is true for me, so you can evaluate yourself. God values patience. It's hard to find joy when you're irritated all the time. And James has some words for us on patience. And so I want you, we're in James chapter 5, we're going to take a look there, and uh, I want to share with you three things today, three things on patience. 
Uh, so this is kind of like a miniature outline. So if you're, on, if you're in your core guide, get that out. On the front of that core guide, you can write three points. The first one is going to be, be patient. God is true to his word. A little bit further down, you can write number two. It says, be patient. Continuing the theme here, your spiritual growth takes time. Number three is be patient. Imagine that with others around you. Hmm. So I'd invite you to stand with me as soon as you jot those things down. We're gonna re- I'm going to read uh, James chapter 5, uh, verses 7 through 12. James says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear by, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or a simple no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. That's the word of the Lord. That's probably all we need this morning. Thanks be to God. <laughs> you can be seated. So, number one, be patient. God is true to His Word. So, you know, when James first says, be patient, a guy like me asks lots of questions. First question that's on my list with be patient is, how long do I have to be patient, James? How long? Well, he gives us this answer. He says, until Jesus returns. Huh. Good to know. That means until I see Jesus returning, however it is that he will show up, James says, I need to practice patience. So settle in. James says, Jesus is coming back. He doesn't say, you know, if he decides to come back. He doesn't say, well, if he feels like coming back. He says, no, Jesus will return. Jesus is coming back. And so for every generation, since uh, Jesus ascended back into heaven, and he said, I'll come back for you, right? That's Jesus' own words. Every generation from then until now has had to wrestle with this notion of patience. Wondering, is, is today going to be the day? And when you expect and you believe that Jesus will return, you kind of live in light of that fact. Oh, why? He's coming back. It could, it could be today. I hope I'm ready. Jesus, I want, I want to be ready. James says, be patient. I remember when I was a youngin, we lived in Marquette, Michigan, and uh, 
my grandparents lived in the Detroit area. Yeah, that's eight hour ish drive. And you know, they would kind of come up through our town on their way out. They would spend their summers in, in Wyoming. Papa would fly fish, grandma would watercolor paint. And uh but they would come and spend a little bit of time with us. And I just remember it being some of the most exciting time. Um, but it was really hard to wait until their arrival. But I knew they were coming. I knew it. No question. Grandma and Papa are coming. And so my sister and I, we would, we would sit out in the front yard, you know, shortly after lunch. <laughs> and we'd just sit out in the front yard. And we'd look up and down the two streets. We had, we had uh, Cleveland Avenue going this way and McClellan Avenue going this way. And, and they would either come this way, down a big hill up Cleveland Avenue, or, 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 or down, you know, coming this way from McClellan. And, and, you know, so we'd just be perched out there on the corner, and, and we'd be waiting. Which way are they going to come? Which, which decision are they going to make? Are they going to come down this road or this one? And we would just be waiting all afternoon. But we knew for a fact that they were coming, and so we, you know, our thoughts were all there about oh, how grand and how fun of a time it was going to be, and they would pull up with their Jeep and their camper, and Papa would get out all his fly fishing stuff, and he'd lay it out on the table, and I could play with his little cases and look at all his gear, and it'd just be awesome. But I knew that they were coming. James says, Jesus is coming. He will return. Are you looking for him? Are you waiting for him? James says, be patient while you're waiting for Jesus. He will come back. So James says, you know, organize in and live your lives right now, trusting that God will return and that when he does that, he's going to bring everything to completion. John writes about that in Revelation. If you want to flip there in Revelation 21, he describes, he describes that time. It's beautiful. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. James says, be patient. The Lord is coming. God will be true to His Word. So live, live your life right now in light of this reality that's coming, that, that God will return and He will vindicate everything, and everything that's wrong He will make right, and tears will be gone, and mourning will be gone, and death will be gone. Amen? Then he says, you know, in, in James... We're back over there in chapter 5, verse 11. He says that um, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. 
Sometimes, you know, we look around our world, maybe we just look into the depths of our own life, and we wonder about that. God's full of compassion and mercy. We read that, we hear people talk about it, but maybe we, don't, maybe we aren't there personally. Maybe, maybe we just think that it's easy for God to just remain aloof and far away and, and remote and uncaring. Maybe we let the thought creep in that, you know what, God might even be angry with me. Because we, we know our lives, we know our thoughts, we know our behaviors, and we know what goes on inside that we hide from everybody else. James doesn't let us dwell on it, doesn't let us go there. He says, God is full of compassion and mercy. And, and then he does something that I had to scratch my head and think about this for a while. I mean, I get the illustration, but he uses Job's story to illustrate his point here. You, you know Job's story, right? I mean, Job was the guy, and so back in, Job has his own book. It's actually the oldest written uh, piece in our Bible. And uh, Job chapter 1, he's a guy who's blessed with large family, material wealth. You know, we would say Job had it all. So God's, you know, up in heaven, and in the beginning of Job, it, it gives us this scene of the throne room, and the angels are kind of parading before God. I don't know if they're reporting in or checking in. Or God's chatting with the angels, and, and Satan, he's in the line. God says, hey, what, you know, what have you been up to? And he said, yeah, I've been strolling around earth. And God's like, hey, what do you think about my man Job? And Satan says, well, you know, he praises you, he loves you dearly, but why wouldn't he? He's blessed, he's got all the stuff that he would ever want. If you, if you allow me to take it all away, he would curse you. And God says, I don't think that he would. Satan goes off, takes it all away. I don't know, it doesn't really tell us. It, it sounds like it's painted within, within a matter of hours. Crops gone, cattle gone wealth gone, kids are in a house, collapses, kids are gone. And Job tears his clothes in mourning, but he continues to praise the Lord. And the scene shifts back to heaven, and, and you know, God is talking with Satan again, and what about my guy Job? He's praising me. You took all that stuff away, and he still continues to bless my name. The devil wants his health now, too. God says, okay, but you can't take his life. So we get this point in Job where he's got, everything's been taken. It's him and his wife, a few friends. He's got nothing. He doesn't have his health. He's covered in sores and boils, and we see this picture of Job just kind of hunched over, and he's, he's got a broken clay pot, and he's just scraping his boils. And his friends come, and they try and convince him, you know what, give, give up on this God, and Job won't do it. I mean, his wife even says, why are you holding on to your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? 
James uses this illustration to make his point here in chapter 5, and James' readers would have understood what James was getting at, because they knew the story. They knew the whole story. They knew about the last five chapters of the book of Job. They, they knew that through all of his problems and pain and brokenness and devastation and near death, that, that Job held firm and that God was actually with him through all of that, demonstrating his love and his compassion and his mercy and his insistence on not leaving Job there alone. And in the end, Job hangs onto it, and, and he ends up, you know, being restored. He ends up being healed, and, and at the very end, Job says these words. He says, I had heard rumors about you. I had heard rumors about you, God, but now, now my eyes have seen you, and I repent of all of the ways that I might not have trusted you. James' readers knew how the story ended that God met Job in his pain and his brokenness. And the, the storyline for us is that it, God doesn't just do that for biblical characters. He does it for you. When you're broken and you feel like you're just lost and devastated and you don't have any air left to breathe, God's right there demonstrating, ready for you to step into his love and compassion. It's all around you. It's a good reminder for us that whatever we're walking through, it's not the end of the story. It doesn't have to be the end of the story. So James says, be patient. The end will reveal the full measure of God's love and compassion and mercy for you. He will hold true to His Word. He will return. The Lord is coming, and so let that be motivation for you. Be patient. The Lord is true to His Word. Second point is that, you know, we got to be patient because spiritual growth takes time. James says that God will grow you, and it's kind of hidden, it's kind of hidden in the metaphor that, that James uses. If you, if you look at the second part of um, verse 7, I think he says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Here's the second part. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. And so the, the metaphor there, it's a farming analogy, but something gets planted into the ground. So, you know, when we come to faith in Jesus, something is planted in us, and God will grow that plant. And it takes time you know, if, you're, if you grow anything and you plant a seed, it takes time for, you know, that plant to grow and poke through the surface of the soil. And then, you know, it's kind of cool because you see this little green shoot pop up. And if you watch the fields, you know, after planting and, you know, rains come and time goes by and, and then all of a sudden what was a brown, kind of dusty looking field, then, and then you just get this really light shade of green. And then the plant's begin to grow, and eventually you have mature plants that are producing a harvest, producing fruit. And so, if we waver 
in our confidence in God, then we're likely to take control of our lives back. So when, when the seed of faith is planted in us, yeah, we, certainly we have part of it. We need to start listening to God, and we need to start changing our behavior and, and our thoughts and, and moving towards Christ, but the Holy Spirit is there to help sanctify us along the way. And so a lot of the work in that is, is God helping us through. And if we don't have confidence that God's going to remain true to His Word, then you know what? Then all bets are off. We're going to just wrestle that control, and we're, gonna, you know, we're just going to go through life trying to do it on our own. We get impatient. We think we should be further along than we are. You know, I, uh, I started playing the bass around Christmas time. And, you know, I've had, I don't know, 10 lessons or so. And it's, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. But sometimes I grow a little bit impatient because uh, I hear a lot of bass players that are way better than I am. And I think, you know, I should be playing like that by now. And so, you know, it's tempting for me to think, well, yeah, I should, you know, I should be able to do that, forgetting that, you know what, growth takes time and practice. And if I listen and trust my teacher, who is really good, I need to trust that he will help me along the steps to get me to being a, a better bass player. But if, you know, if I don't trust him, then I'm going to go off and try and figure it out on my own, and, you know, there's plenty of stuff online, and, and most of that would distract me from the things that he's trying to teach me. I need to trust him. Recognize that I have to invest something, and that he's also watching out and trying to help me become better. So growth takes time. I've told you about my friend Ed before. He, uh, he lives down in the Boise, Idaho area, and he and a bunch of his buddies, um, they set out to climb and summit Mount Bora. And so it's the highest peak in Idaho. It's, it's like 12,600-some feet. And uh, it's one of the really popular mountains to hike in Idaho because it has a fairly accessible climb up to the summit. But there's a couple tricky spots, a couple spots that are pretty visually intimidating. And um, one fairly tricky spot, they call it Chicken Out Ridge. Chicken Out Ridge. You have to scramble up and over this narrow and very jagged uh, piece of ground. And if you manage to get across Chicken Out Ridge, then there's like a snow field that you have to get across. And then from after you're past the snow field, then it's, I guess it's fairly easy up, up to the summit. Um, so my buddy has a bit of knee trouble, had a bit of knee trouble. And so he, the first time that he, he went to Mount Bora with his friends, uh, I knew the day, and so I, I sent him a message the next day. I said, hey, how, how'd it go? And he said, yeah. I added to the reasons that they call it Chicken Out Ridge. I got there. I just I couldn't do it. I wasn't prepared. You know, it, it wore me out to get up to that point. And so I, I sat there on the one side, and, and some of my friends went across, and, and they got to the top. And, and um, yeah, I think the Christian walk is kind of like that sometimes path of discipleship 
growing our faith, becoming better followers of Jesus. We get to these points, and, and, then, and then we get to this strip of ground, and we know that it's uphill for a ways, and we can maybe see, you know, the next summit, the next high point, but there's this, this narrow, jagged, rocky thing that we have to get across. Maybe it's given up an addiction. Maybe it's mending a relationship that's just been on the rocks for a while. And we get right up to the edge of that, and we, we hear Jesus saying, you know what, uh, I'll help you across. But we see the sheer cliffs on both sides. And we stop at Chicken Out Ridge and say, you know, I, I'm not ready to go there. I think our, our walk of faith is, is kind of it's kind of like that. You know, we get to these points where the pain of this life and, and setbacks and failures and wounds and the ones that have scabbed over that are, you know, the, the scabs come off easily and just leave that raw pain there. We get to those places and all the baggage that we carry around and anger and bitterness and we come up to these points and we just say, I, I can't do it. Call me a chicken if you will, but I'm, I'm not going across that ridge. James says, be patient. Spiritual growth takes time. God will be with you. You can trust His Word. Trust God to work in your life through the power of, of His Holy Spirit, the one who sanctifies you and, and makes you more like Jesus. Remember back in, in James chapter 1, I think it's verse 2, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish, finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, I don't... That's a hard word, persevere. But my friend, you know, he didn't want to give up on Mount Bora. So he had, he had knee replacement surgery, then he went through physical therapy, and then he went through a training regimen, and then just this past year, uh, his buddies went back and they, they ascended Mount Bora and he made it to the summit. You know, so he saw that thing through. He didn't want to say, you know what, I'm going to stop here at Chicken Out Ridge and you know what, the rest of that, you know, that cool experience up there, I'm, I'm just out. He persevered through that. And persevered, that's a really tough word for us. Because if you look at the if you look at how that word is put together, it, it's two Latin words. The, the first Latin word is per, which means thoroughly. Okay? So you got thoroughly on one hand, and then you have severus on the other, and that means severe. So thoroughly severe. That's what persevere means. Does that sound like something you want to participate in? Something that's thoroughly severe? No, we, we get to chicken out ridge and we're like, oh, I, uh, that's thoroughly severe. I don't, I don't think I can push through that. But that's what we need to do in the Christian walk. And Jesus tells us to do things like practice forgiveness. He tells us to do things like love our enemies and pray for people who would persecute and pick on us. That doesn't sound pleasant all the time. That's hard stuff to do right there. But I trust that Jesus knows something about this. And James reminds us, you've got to be patient. 
Dave. You've got to be patient. Spiritual growth takes some time, and, and some of it's going to be a challenge. Hmm. And we want to live free from the past. We, we want to move forward, and we want to grow in God's grace. We want to grow spiritually. Sometimes we waver and we doubt. That's the times when we just need to get down on our all fours before the Lord, before His throne. Say, I can't do this by myself. And Jesus will say, come with me. Let's, let's just take one little jagged rock at a time, and we'll get across this ridge, and we'll get to this new place, and then you'll be able to look back, and then you'll be able to testify to my grace that you've experienced in your life, and you can help somebody else across. That's what James is trying to say here. Be patient. Your spiritual growth takes time. I like how Eugene Peterson puts it. He says that uh, we need to have, uh, how does he say, he says we need to have a long obedience in the same direction. Not wavering, not going off doing our own thing for a while and then coming back, but no, just be obedient for a long time, moving in the same direction. Jesus will be with you. All right, the third, the third thing is uh, be patient with others around you. I know. Okay, I can get number one. I understand that. I, can, I will trust God at His Word. I can get to the point where I know that spiritual growth is going to take some time, and I just need to be patient and know that God is with me through that. But then, you know, James is just working us down. He's grinding us all the way down, and he says, be patient with others around you. Now he's just meddling. Because what else do we have left except being impatient with other people. He says, verse 8, be patient and stand firm. And if you, if you look at that in the original language, it, it says be patient and stand firm, but where it says stand firm, you could, as, you could just as easily translate that as strengthen your heart. Be patient and strengthen your heart. And one way that James says that we strengthen our heart is in verse 9. He says is to practice the discipline of patience by avoiding grumbling against one another. See, when we lack trust in God, and when we take things into our own hands, and we're going to manage this thing on our own now, uh, it's, what's going to happen is if we're all out for self, for me, myself, and I, it's going to put me at odds with other people around me. And when I'm at odds with other people around me, we're going to get into quarrels, and we're going to fuss, and we're going to fight, and we're going to experience hard times and broken relationships, and, and we're going to get bitter, and we're going to become judgmental. And, and James has already told us, you know, hey, avoid idle chatter, avoid gossip, don't slander, don't speak words out of anger. And now he adds, to complete his list, he says, don't grumble, don't complain, don't gripe. He says, if you think about that, there's no way that you can modulate the human voice to make complaining sound pleasant. You just can't, you can't do it. And you know what, when we complain and we gripe, we're not really likely to fix anything. 
See, what's likely to happen when we complain is that our own anger and bitterness hardens and starts to callous over. It affects our mind. It affects how we think about people. So we just nip at them and complain. You know, they're not doing it how I would like to do it. So we often become easily frustrated with other people's behaviors and actions and what we think is their incompetence and they're just doing things different than us and so we want to speak out loud about it and we just, no, 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 no. Sometimes we focus too much on other people's flaws or shortcomings and when we do that, it distracts us from receiving the joy that God wants to flood upon us. Because if our hearts are closed and thinking negative thoughts, then we can't experience joy. So James, is, James reminds us that we all receive the same grace from God. And so if we have received this grace from God, then he says you should freely release it and give it to other people. So patience with other people means that we develop an ability to suspend judgment on other people, that we have, we cultivate this ability to, to live with a certain amount of unresolved uh, problems, unresolved relate. that there's some, sometimes there's just going to be a little bit of tension, and that's okay because we're all different people. We don't think exactly the same, and, and James says, you know what, you don't need to grumble and complain about that. We don't have to try and impose quick fixes on other people's messy situations, and we don't have to force our agenda. We don't have to manipulate every situation so that we get exactly what we want out of it. See, if we live in light of, uh, of God's salvation and impending judgment, that, then, then we can proceed on this journey together, and we can learn how to be patient with one another. And so when one of us gets up to chicken out ridge and the other one's already crossed it, if we're patient with one another, I'm not going to you know, dismiss and gripe about this person over here because they can't figure it out. I can reach back and I can say, you know what? It's the step on the right there. And then after you get that one, gain your balance, and then, then move over to the one on the left, and then put your hand over here and grab this rock, and I can help somebody across. Instead of complaining why they're not, why they're stuck over there. Yeah, yeah look at you, you're stuck, you can't figure it out. Well, you know, maybe I was blessed with the ability to get here so that I can help somebody across. James says, be patient with others around you. If you're judgmental and full of gripes and complaints and you claim to be a follower of Jesus, what's going to happen is that other people are going to assume that because you claim to be a Jesus follower that that's what Jesus is like. If all they see is a bunch of Christians who have faces that look like they're weaned on a dill pickle, they're going to think that Jesus is this, you know, hey, just judgmental, complaining, gripey kind of person that's only out to get you. You, as the followers of Jesus, are His hands and His feet. You are witnesses to Jesus' character. You are here, we are here to model Jesus' grace and love to one another and to other people. And James says, be patient with others. We're not all at the same point. Journey together. Don't grumble. 
don't complain. And he, he adds, you know, James just, he's got the in there, and then he just kind of twists it just a little bit. You know how he does that? If you've been reading James all the way through, and you ever feel a little knife twist in there? Maybe it's just me. He says, watch out, the judge is standing at the door. So in other words, you know, under God's sovereignty and His providence, he's kinda, He knows what's going on in our hearts. He sees how we're treating one another. He sees how we're treating outsiders. And James says, you know what? The judge, the real judge, is standing at the door watching. And every time that you gripe against somebody, every time you complain against somebody, you know what's happening is you're judging them. And I think it's Jesus who said, don't judge lest you be judged. So James is just throwing down language that he learned from his older brother. He said, hey, my older brother, he says he's coming back. He is the judge, and he's seeing what's going on right now. So you might want to knock it off because the way that you treat people is probably the way that you're going to be treated. So watch out. My brother has extended you his mercy. He's going to hold you accountable. Leave that judgment thing up to him. If you truly understand the magnitude of what God has done for you, you're going to extend that grace to other people. So be patient. Be patient with others around you. We're all works in progress. I don't know. I smell spaghetti. Where are you at this morning with this whole patience conversation? I think it's one that kind of works its way in. Something we all wrestle with. It's hard, I know. I know it is. I won't deny that one bit. And some of us here this morning need to work on that. So, you know, do you, do you need to trust God to do what he says he's going to do? Do you need to just accept God's compassion and grace and mercy and forgiveness in your life? Do you need to move beyond this level of impatience? Do you need to be more patient in your own growth? Are you frustrated with your own progress and you think, you know, I should be way ahead of where I am, but I just keep getting stuck? Do you lack patience in what God is doing in your life? Do you compare yourself to other people? Maybe you need to rededicate your life to Him. Or maybe you're here and you've never received God's grace and forgiveness in your life. Maybe you just need to say, God, I, I've never done that. I, I need you. I, I need help with this. Maybe it starts there. Can I, can I encourage you to persevere it's okay to do things that are thoroughly severe because Jesus is going to help you across that ridge. Press on towards that goal that he sets out there, and the goal is that we will one day be exactly like Jesus, and God will do what he says, and he'll bring us to fullness and completion. Maybe you're here, and you need to work on your patience with other people. Maybe you notice that in your, you know, something in your spirit just wells up and you just can't not gripe and not complain when things don't go your way. So, so maybe patience for you looks like, huh, 
I know the grace and mercy of God, and I feel like I'm doing well in my spiritual growth, but I can't, I can't get by these things. Maybe you need to lay those before God and say, you know what, I can't do this on my own. I've got to get rid of this vocabulary because, you know what, it's being a negative witness to other people. God says, trust me, don't give up. He says, I'm coming back. I'll make everything right. No more tears, no more mourning, no more death, no more evil, no more hate. I'll make it all right. He says, I'll help you over Chicken Out Ridge. You just need to trust me. I'll help you grow in your faith. And then he says, you know what? Be patient with the people around you. Instead of getting after them, why don't you bless them and love them? Give them grace, just like I've given you. Can I pray for us?